the pandemic has has hurt travel, of course, right? And people understand that from the economic point of view, hospitality, airlines, hotels, you know, amusement parks, things like that, that have really taken a hit in the financial uh, economic uh, means. But but from interpersonal or just personal things is that it has also restricted us from changing our perspective, right? If we're, if we're working at home or we aren't really getting a chance to get out, we're not ever really changing our physical uh, area. And that really is not good for us to get a better set on what you value in the perspective because you're still stuck in the same environment. You're listening to Business Edge, the podcast for professionals looking to excel in the workforce. In each episode, our guests take a deep dive into their personal and professional experiences to give you an edge in the marketplace. This podcast is brought to you by Alpha Kappa Psi Professional Business Fraternity. Welcome back, everybody. I know it's been a while since we've last talked to you. We have a couple format changes. Desiree left us, and so we are trying out some new things this season. And so with me today, I have Nicole Klemp. I'll let you introduce yourself, Nicole, to our listeners. Hi, everyone. I'm happy to be here. Um, Yeah, so I am an AKSI alumni, um, went to Indiana State, go trees, Um, (laughs) Mu Omicron chapter, um, class of, oh gosh, 2006. So I'm aging myself. Um, You're an old lady. I am, yes. Um, but yeah, really excited to be on the podcast. I, I've been enjoying, you know, the last episodes, and and it's awesome. Um, yeah, just just thrilled to to be part of it. Thank you for joining us. We're excited to have you. She lives here in Indy too, so it's nice and convenient. And today we have Steve Hartman, the CEO of Alpha Kappa Psi. You would think that he would have been an obvious guest in the first couple seasons. You would have thought at some point, right? Yeah, I know. So we uh, saved him for this season. But uh, there's this thing called the great resignation that's happening right now. A lot of people leaving their jobs as COVID is ending, although we're not sure that we have quite an ending in sight, but more people are leaving their jobs. They say an estimated 3% of the workforce has voluntarily left their position. And in the hospitality industry, that's up to 6%, which is understandable. A lot of hotels are not back at full capacity yet. And a lot of flights have been canceled due to staffing and uh, utilization. So, and it's a lot of people mid-career. But what kind of inspired this topic was really talking about changes in your career. A lot of people are leaving their job to go do something completely different. Some are leaving their corporate grind to go do something more civically driven. And others, like myself, are leaving the nonprofit world to go do something corporate. So we wanted to invite Steve today. He's had an interesting career path and has definitely made some left-hand turns in his career and jump to different tracks. So Steve, can you go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks, Christy. And thanks again for hosting. As always, I do a great job and really enjoy the podcast. And thanks for having me on as a guest. Uh, Nicole, also thank you for jumping in. Um, this is going to be fun. I, I think that uh, my career path, uh, an example of a, a switch I made was um, about in my mid-30s, early 30s, I left the consulting world, which I had really had all my career in consulting up until that point when I graduated from college. And I, I took a job as a uh, in nonprofit for the Phi Capital Fraternity. So for the last 17 years, I've done I've done all of my work with with fraternal organizations with Phi Capital and now here at Alpha Kappa Psi. Um, for me, the biggest thing was just lifestyle, and in trying to balance travel and other demands with clients, with with just having a family life, um, and that's partly I think what drives some of the the turnover that's happening right now. But um, but we can dive into that a little bit more. Do you want to jump into that a little bit now, straight into the? Sure, why not? Okay. We can take this conversation wherever you want to go. All right. Um, so looking at the, the the resignation, one of the things that strikes me is that 
there is still a pretty low level of unemployment, right? And the jobs report from October, when you look at the the um, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, uh, it was about five hundred thousand dollars of in- five hundred thousand increase in jobs. So people are leaving, but they appear to be getting hired. So it's not that they're just leaving the workforce necessarily; they're just leaving jobs to take other jobs. So that's something that I think is important to to understand: is that it isn't just they're leaving the workforce, but they're leaving those specific jobs. So that's partly what I have a curiosity about your story, Nicole, about your transition from working for a company, for organization to your own thing and about that part. So can you tell me about that? Yeah, sure. I think like a lot of people, you know, the pandemic kind of made me reflect more on what I wanted to do and, you know, what where I want to be with my career. And I think a lot of people kind of have been doing that over the last year or so. Um, I spent uh, about, you know, about 10 years in the communications, content marketing field, um, primarily as a writer and editor. And um, as kind of my career, I, I might be a little bit different than some because as my career, in, you know, I went up um, kind of levels of my career into, you know, higher roles. Um, I started to realize that what I really enjoyed was the work itself and the, you know, individual contributor roles where I'm just writing and editing and, and doing the work. And I found as, as my career advanced, I did less of that work and, you know, more managing day-to-day, you know, strategy and all of that, which is great, but I found that it wasn't what I was as passionate about. So, um, you know, this last year I decided to start, um, you know, doing a little bit of, kind of freelance writing on the side of my full-time job and found that I really enjoyed that work and eventually um, over the summer transitioned to doing that full-time. It's interesting. When I think about um, some of the things I've heard, and I have a funny story to tell about my sister, so it's similar to what you're saying, Nicole, as far as how do you spend your time, uh, whether it's doing what you want to do or what you've been trained for and what you enjoy, and as you get into positions of management or supervision in general, you're taking away from those things that you enjoy more and more dealing with either clients or customers or or your direct reports or somewhere in the organizational chain. And that can be very frustrating, I think. Um, my sister is a Montessori teacher. And um, and she and I have had debated, debated the, are leaders born? Or can leaders be, be created? Um, and and she largely believes that that um, even though you can teach a lot of the skills and you can get people to sort of understand it, for the most part, you either have to be driven toward wanting to lead people or wanting to be in that role or, or not. Um, and I think a lot of people really looking at sort of the great resignations, they, they just don't want to be burdened with a lot of things that come with all of that responsibility that doesn't come back to what they really want to do. And um, I think that's part of the, the whole process is that you have to sort of decide what balance is good for you. And it's a tough thing to figure out until you're actually in the arena. I know that you have some background there mm-hmm. too, probably the same questions. Yeah, I was going to say, Steve, that's interesting. So talk to us a little bit about how you worked through the trade-offs between consulting. I know you said part of it was a lifestyle, but there's also things that come with being in that consulting life versus nonprofit association. So how did you kind of evaluate some of those trade-offs? Um, I think a lot of what comes down to is is predictability, um, and for the most part, I'm not someone that that is looking forward to like a predictable day necessarily. So, um, whereas 
most people that I know, I think that I've worked with, or even you know, people I'm close to, friends, they don't want to deal with a lot of chaos or unknowns. They want to sort of have an idea about how to plan their day or their week or their month or their year, and hopefully it goes similar to what they're thinking. Um, I'm sort of the opposite, where I'm perfectly fine with chaos, and, and I like problem solving, so consulting was always really attractive to me because it was always something new, right? Every day was something new. Um, but at the same time, there was always a big problem you're trying to solve or several. Uh, so it was always challenging. But the, uh, the, the roles that I've had, though, in nonprofit, in the organizations with AK Stein and Fatah, they are still sort of very big problem-solving roles. So I feel like I still get some of that, even though it isn't the same sort of chaos. <laughs> it's still chaotic. I think there's still some chaos. <laughs> yeah, more, more today than I think yeah. uh, we've seen in a long time. But, but also, too, just going back to sort of the the idea of consistency or what to expect. Um, this is probably a little bit more of a, a little bit of a tangent, but um, I think more day to day in people's personal lives, there, there may be a little, also a little more chaos. And so when you, when you think about the workplace, um, I don't know how many people I've run into that have a, like, thank God it's Monday, sort of a, mm-hmm. a, a thought where it's like the weekend was crazy or, you know, I've, my family, there's a bunch of things going on. We've got a pandemic and I've got relatives who are fighting on, on social media and I've got all these things going on where if I can just get to work where I can get somewhere and I know what's going to happen that day, I'm actually okay with that. Um, so, so I think there's some, there's some sense of it's not just the workplace, but just everything is just sort of moving so fast. Um, and then sort of related to that, I also think there's a, a technology portion of this too that's interesting to think about. Um, Although I think when you look at the way our standard of living in the United States, but also across the world, technology has, has enabled us to sustain six plus billion people on the planet um, through better uh, agriculture and sanitation and so forth. But at the same time, you look at sort of how our lives are. Is it really is it really giving us an increase in the quality of life that you would have thought it would? And what I really mean is I'm um, going back to that sort of idea of how life is so crazy and chaotic. Um, you know, how many times have you opened an app or tried to download an app, um, or register for something online and like, it doesn't work. The page is broken or you can't remember your password. Um, there's a huge tax of time that we're all paying for things that are supposedly making things easier for us. And it's sort of embedded in our time day to day. So I think that's also part of this whole sort of frustration around, you know, looking for work to find some sort of satisfaction or like I say some kind of regular predictable thing Um, and then the more that that doesn't get fulfilled people look to move on to the next thing Um, so that's sort of what I think is also driving some of this and I realize that's a little bit of a tangent but but I think it's also part of what's going on in the bigger picture. Steve how do you feel like from your consulting days to your nonprofit days how has that changed kind of your work-life balance? Uh, The biggest the biggest change there really comes down to travel Um, when uh, when my wife Rachel and I were first married, this was probably in the late 90s um, when we both were traveling quite a bit. Uh, she was also doing consulting, but but then she left to go back to school, and then I was still traveling. It was really every single week. So you'd leave Monday morning, come back Friday afternoon. Um, eventually, we decided we wanted to have a family, and that lifestyle really wasn't going to work. So that was the main thing that drove it. Um, it was a, definitely a sacrifice when it came to money, because um, 
you know, it can be very, very lucrative to be in consulting and in the, uh, the, the rewards, the bonuses and whatnot are hard to walk away from. Uh, but we just had to sort of reset our lives and, and just set some new expectations around lifestyle. And, and that, and, I mean, ultimately it was the best decision, but it was difficult. How was it going from being apart during the week to now you guys are in each other's space all the time? <laughs> well, we kept, we kept busy enough to not be too much. Okay. <laughs> but no, I think, um, to your point though, I think that's a, it's a, it's really important to, to really at some point take inventory of your personal and professional life together. Making one decision, um, either way, it has to be sort of taken into consideration when, when uh, I ultimately accepted the offer to come here and work at AKSI, we moved from Cincinnati. And that was a, you know, a series of conversations that we had to have about our family, about her relationship with her friends. She grew up in Cincinnati, so she left her friends um, from high school there. Um, and we sort of had to reset things and get, get acclimated to where things were here in central Indiana. Um, and all those things were transitional and to some degree still are seven years later. Um, so, so I think that I do think that most people do sort of take this into consideration. I think their spouse, their partner as a way to, to figure it out, but it's, it's, you know, it's a huge part of the equation. If you're not happy one place, you're not gonna be happy the other. Is there anything that you found surprising during this transition from going to a consultant life to association? Was there anything you found surprising either way? Like I really like this and didn't know it, or I wasn't expecting this to pop up. Uh, so, so you and I have talked about this a little bit, Christy, just in our own, like, you know, having coffee from time to time. The, the biggest thing I think, um, going from, uh, consulting, particularly with a big organization, a big four consulting firm is that there's this really high expectation on everyone sort of being a leader in some respect, right? Like, like not just necessarily following a book, but, but understanding the methods that are tried and true, but also providing some sort of leadership and being proactive. Um, one of the diffi most difficult transitions was that, um, in fact, most people are not expected to be that way. Most people are expected to, to do what they are, are do well and do it well consistently and, and move on with their day. They, they don't take work home. They want to leave it at work. Um, and that whole expectation was, was much different. So in other, in some ways I had to lower my expectations in other ways I had to raise them. Um, but it was definitely different where the pace just was so much slower. Um, and my first uh, role when I left the consulting firm was still in a consulting role, but it was in within a healthcare organization. So, um, you know, having to deal with sort of all the bureaucracy around managed care and everything, it was a huge, a huge change. Uh, much different from the supply chain work that I had been doing, which which was always really high paced because every single day was like money, right? You had to worry about it. So so it was about basically the pace of the work and then the expectations that were different. What advice would you give someone who's maybe mid-career thinking about making a transition or someone who's maybe a, a young professional or getting ready to graduate and trying to figure out kind of what they want to do with their career path? Yeah, that's a, a good question. I think, I think that uh, you probably would be able to answer this as well, right? Like what framework did you sort of look to try to make that sort of decision? And when I say framework, I mean, um, the, the typical, the typical thing that people normally say is to do the old uh, plus and minus column, right? Where we say, well, here are the positives of making a change here, are the negatives, or, or maybe there's a more intensive exercise around what do I value? 
And sometimes you can do an exercise where you sort of do an inventory of your own time from the last month and say, well, if I'm voting with my feet, then in, I'm spending time where I want to spend time. It's telling me what my values are. almost like reverse engineering your value clarification. Um, so there's a couple ways you could do it. I think that, first of all, I think that everyone probably goes through this a few times in their life, in their careers. Sort of a, do I want to reset? What do I want to do? Perfectly healthy, perfectly necessary. Um, for those, um, you know, trusted and gifted souls that know what they want to do from the very beginning and do, and do it for 50 years, you know, that's fantastic for them. Uh, but for the rest of us mortals, we have to have some sort of process, right? Um, so taking a variation of the whole plus minus sort of inventory um, and layering on that some sort of way to weight each of the plus and minuses because they don't have equal weight. And so a lot of times when people go through this exercise, they'll just create their columns and say, well, I have eight things on the plus side and three on the negative. I know where I'm going to go. But the three negative ones really are much more impactful than any of the eight on the positive side. So, so you almost have to layer that and try to figure out qualitatively where they fit in. But it's a good exercise because at least it gives you the chance to kind of put down what you think you value and what the positive and negatives are. Um, the only other thing would be um, whatever sort of personal board of directors that you may have assembled over the years to please pull them into your circle um, and utilize them for advice, for counsel, because uh, they know you maybe better than you know you and can probably be very helpful in that decision. Yeah, and it can almost change with different life stages, right? Like what you want to take on, you know, when you're 25 may, might change. I know for me, I was a real go-getter. I wanted mm -hmm. to climb the ladder and, and, you know, get into the tech industry and do a lot there. And it was great when in my 20s and, and early 30s and then after, you know, having children that kind of I wanted to slow that pace down a little bit. So I think I feel like it changes, too, with with those different life stages. Well, let me ask you. So how did you come to grips with uh, what was the process that you went through to be OK with that? Right. Because at some point you had to just sort of consciously say, I may be going a different path than what I have thought about for the last 10 or 15 years. I need to be okay with that for the right reasons, but was there something that you just sort of work through personally or, cause that's a big change, right? To sort of reset what, what your trajectory is. Yeah. I really had to kind of be real with myself. Cause I think for so many years I was trying to, you know, get a higher position, climb that ladder. And I found myself in a director position and this is where I wanted to be all of these years. And I've gotten here and now I realize Eh, I'm not digging it that much. So <laughs> I think, you know, you want to always feel like you're moving forward or moving up. And I almost had to take a, somewhat of a step back, although I guess it's not, it's more of a, just a different step, but mm -hmm. it felt like, oh, I have to tell people, oh no, I, I'm not doing that big job anymore. Now I'm a freelancer and then that could have negative connotations or maybe you don't feel like it's as important or, but really at the end of the day, I had to decide what makes me happy, what can I make a living wage doing, and how can I make those things intersect with my life, and, you know, having also some f more flexibility for my young children and, and my family, and so I think just not trying to always feel like what other people expect me to do, and more of I had to decide what do I really want to do and what's best for me and for my, my family, so that was, it was a little bit of a, an awakening, I guess. I think it's hard to kind of get that weight off your shoulders and out of your mind of what do other people expect from me and yeah. what do other people perceive. 
Um, I'm on the dean's council of a major university. And so I walk in and the dean was like, hey, Chrissy, how's your new job doing? And so I explain, you know, explain to us what you're doing. And I'm sitting in there with a bunch of CEOs from big tech companies in the area, as well as pharma. And so explaining it and somebody was like, well, what's your role there? I'm like, account manager. And I was so timid to say that because I used to be an executive director. I used to be a VP. So it's hard to, oh, gosh, now I'm just an account manager. But I know in my heart, you know what titles really mean and what they don't mean and things like that. But it was just really interesting. I didn't realize how much it bothered me because of what I thought other people thought. Everybody in that room, as we continued the conversation, at first I'm thinking, what am I doing in this room with these people? And then as we continue the conversation, it's like, no, that reminder of I bring a certain skill set. I'm a fundraiser. I bring that to the table. They respect that. Um, so it, it takes a little while sometimes to get over that stigma and what you think other people think of you yeah. when you make those changes. It's such a really, really important point to make. In some respects, um, a lot of the information and training and so forth that we've we've been able to again I think I think it's a little bit unique a little bit unique in our generation in the workforce where we've had we've had so much access to training and, and development and some of that training is um, very specific to interpersonal skills and so we learn things like um, you know like someone will make a their impression of you will be made in the first five seconds they meet you okay well if you go into a meeting or a setting where you've got that in mind well you're freaking out because you're like well i better make this first five seconds mm-hmm. the best five seconds and that's sort of ridiculous right mm-hmm. but but because of our awareness is heightened uh, to those things and we're, we're more aware of those things then, then it tends to also like add another thing for us to think about when 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 really just being who we are in our own skin is enough but we don't necessarily believe it anymore mm-hmm. uh, because of all the information that we, that we now have access to or research or training. Um, but the point the, the two of you were making as far as, um, I don't, I guess I, I wouldn't necessarily want to say it this way, but it's sort of like, it's sort of like keeping up with the Joneses, mm-hmm. right? It, it's a real thing um, in, in every aspect of our life. It's very hard to step back from um, your context and, and try to figure out what do you value in some respects? Uh, a great, if you, if you see the movie, um, a dead poet society, I don't mm, know, it's, it's an it's old one, one, right? So talk about dating yourself, <laughs> but, um, but there's a, there's a scene in that movie where Robin Williams is the, is the teacher and he tells all the students to stand on their desks. I don't know if you remember this part of it, if mm-hmm. you saw the movie, but, but he was basically, you know, he, he's got them up on the desk and they're all like yelling and, and, and then the headmaster of the school walks in like, what is going on in this classroom? But the point of it was, is that he wanted them all to like view the classroom from a different perspective and to physically put them in a different space. Um, and, and I think that, you know, some things that, that in some respects have, have hurt us sort of, you know, generally is that the pandemic has, has hurt travel, of course, right? And people understand that from the economic point of view, hospitality, airlines, hotels, um, you know, amusement parks, things like that, that have really taken a hit in the financial, uh, economic, uh, means, but, but from interpersonal or just personal things is that it has also restricted us from changing our perspective, right? If we're, mm. if we're working at home or we aren't really getting a chance to get out, we're not ever really changing our physical, uh, area. And that really is not good for us to get a better set on, what you value in the perspective because you're still stuck in the same environment. Uh, so it's a very important thing to kind of think through. And, and I haven't really come to grips with it myself yet. <laughs> well, I think that brings home the point of how important self-awareness is 
And I think that's what sets apart the really great leaders is those people that have that self-awareness. And so I think those that have self-awareness are probably striving a little bit better in the virtual environment because they do have that. But I agree when you're in the same four walls all the time, it's just the same concept of group think, right? If you guys are all thinking the same way, you don't ever reach new horizons. I am curious, Steve, how has working for AKSI and in the fraternal world in general changed your perspective on watching your children grow up? So you have four boys and they're all, one has graduated high school and they're all kind of getting older. And so how has that changed your perspective of watching them grow up and the experiences they've had? In some respects, having the four of them, and they're all, like you said, they're all very close in age, right? They're 17, um, 16, 16, and 14. So they're all close to age, and they're all sort of getting to that, you know, hopefully going to college. Um, although the one that just graduated from high school is taking a year off because uh, he doesn't really know what he wants to do. But we did have a conversation. We went to a campus visit a couple months ago, and he did say to me something around, why would you join a fraternity? I thought, oh, boy, <laughs> you know, this is, I better answer this right, right? So let me, let me get my sales pitch out. Um, and I, I, so it's interesting because being able to live with four teenagers and seeing how they, excuse me, how they engage with the world, um, and how much they, they really do rely on their phone for, for just about everything. Um, whether it's, you know, something sports related or music related or school related, it, it is all on their phones. And, and obviously their social uh, network is through the phone. So um, to some degree, I don't really know the answer to the question is that, you know, how much do they value face-to-face versus just being virtual, which they're used to more of now. Um, I think that, that there's still an importance to have a sense of community so I would say that that's the one thread that goes through. Um, when he did, when my son asked me about why would he join a fraternity, that was my answer. It's like, well, there's a community here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're going to go to a big university or even a small school for that matter, um, you know, one of the things you're going to try to do is reduce this giant environment with all these people that I don't really know into something that is more is smaller. And a fraternity is a great way to do that, whether it's within, a, you know, an academic discipline like AKSI or just generally. Um, I still think there's need for community. And, and in fact, I would even argue with my kids um, that the need for community is even greater because they, they do have access to social media and things that are hyperbolic, you know, and, um, and in sort of in, impersonal um, where they need to get out and see people face to face. They need to be interacting. And, um, and when they were virtual school last year, when it became optional to go back to school, we sent them. We're like, you need to be like actually seeing people and talking to them. Um, someone, I can't remember why I read this, but it's something like it's hard to hate somebody close up, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like social media, you can get in these battles. Um, but if you get sit down and, you know, with somebody face to face, it's really hard to, to take that the level of volume from a one to a 10 so fast. Right. Um, so I guess the, the short answer is, um, it's just, it's reinforced the fact that we need community. We need to have um, a sense of well-being around our relationships. And as much as technology, social media, WhatsApp, whatever ha- has helped us mm-hmm. keep, keep, stay connected, it's, it's just not doing enough to, to um, emotionally connect us. And I think that's the difficult part. Mm-hmm. Um, and so whether it's, like I say, a sports team or 
an orchestra or a band or you know a church or whatever the group is that you're involved in that sense of community is still so important and i think fraternity fits right in there i would agree i'm biased and i, and I well <laughs> i would hope you would be <laughs> yeah. um and i think that's an interesting point too like we still don't really know what the impacts of this pandemic is going to be not only you know i was thinking about all the kids that were you know, schooled at home and what basic skills are they missing that are the building blocks to the future years when they're younger. And um, even the social, we all know that overdose and suicides are up tremendously in mental health, but what are some of the side effects going to be of that missing community, how people interact with each other in the workplace, as we know, many companies are going back to a hybrid format rather than in person. So it's just completely turned everything on its heads. And I don't think we'll see the full effect for many decades to come. Well, I hope that um, I hope that that will get sorted out. I mean, I, I know that it will it will get sorted out, but you're right. I, I th- it's all still still going to be as we go, learn as we go. Um, there's one other point here I think that that I think is important. Uh, going back to the issue of of mental health, and um, and this is probably I don't know if it's necessarily a positive. I mean, I th- I think it's when I, it's a positive for sure. But whether it's, whether it's a tribute to the pandemic or the situation, I'm not 100. percent But but I do think that there has been much more awareness around mental health mm-hmm. that has been raised in this time frame. Um, several organizations and, and uh, you know, when I think about even, even the city we live in, there's been a, there's been a huge push on awareness of mental health and trying to understand those feelings of despair or, or just loneliness or whatever that leads to things um, that I think it's a good thing overall. And, and I think, having that out there will hopefully fast forward to some degree, some of the things that are going on, um, you know, just in general with society, uh, in, in a personal and just personally. Um, so mental health, uh, having more of a focus is, is I'm glad that that is now going mm-hmm. on now, or I don't think it was as much in the past or even stigmatized more in the past. Um, you're seeing professional athletes come out and talk openly about it. Um, which is helpful as far as, you know, having role models and so forth. Um, the other thing I was going to mention was, um, going back to the interpersonal relationships for a second, um, I think that there also is is a need to sort of, how do I say this, um, erode some of the binary around relationships. What I mean is, um, we seem to be, at least a lot of the, and I don't want to blame the media, but but a lot of what we read and what we see, it does pit political factions against one another um as a zero-sum game and you know blue versus red or whatever um the neighbor that i have right across the street from us is is sort of the opposite of politically of where i would be or my wife is right we just we vote for different we vote for different people we have a different philosophy about policy um but i will tell you this if you know if, if um if i need help he's the first one that shows up at my house right um he and his wife are always bringing tomatoes over from their garden, right? I mean, we, we are true neighbors and that we, we are true friends and we truly help each other. Uh, politically, we don't, we don't see eye to eye, but that doesn't really matter day to day, right? And, and, I, and we've had this conversation with our sons. It's like, well, well, you know, what's his name across the street? You know, well, how do you hang out with him? Well, because they're our friends and they don't believe the same things we do. But, but if I'm going to move my position a little bit and if I expect them to move their position a little bit, then there has to be a relationship. Otherwise, we're just going to keep, keep shouting at each other. So, so I'm not sure what's going to happen there, Christy. I think that's going to be part of it that I hope will start to subside um, as far as that polarization. Because I do think the only way we're going to get anywhere is, is just the interpersonal interactions. 
um, you know, I can't, I can't not help you just because you don't see things the way I do politically. That doesn't make any sense to me, but I think that's partly what's going on, you know, that we have to sort of figure out how to spin back. Um, hopefully some of that will fall out before, you know, it gets any worse, I guess. Steve, how do you feel like that's going to change, you know, going forward? You know, once we finally, hopefully are out fully out of this pandemic and, and people can, you know, be in, in the office and together again, like, like before, how do you feel like that's going to change? Do you feel like we're just going to go right back to kind of the, the in-office work or do you feel like a hybrid model or what do you, what do you think? And then what, what do you personally feel for your teams would be best in the future? Uh, Nicole, I don't know that I know. I don't know. know the. I don't know the answer. I, I guess I'll have to see. Um, but here's what I do. Uh, here's what I will try to do, at least with Alpha Capisan, with our staff. Um, I think that we can be more creative with the ways that we approach our work, um, opportunities that we have, problems that we need to solve, um, how we gather the data and the information how we make decisions and who we consider in those decisions, you know, the stakeholders that are involved. Um, we in, you know, two years ago, we would have said, well, we need everybody in the same space for the majority of the time so we can work out these things. And I think we've learned that we don't have to have everybody in the same space. We can figure it out. And I think that's probably going to be the answer is that we just need to be flexible, take advantage of the technology and the, and the tools that we have and just, you know, have faith that people will figure it out because they normally do you know, when they give the chance. So I, th I think that the answer is probably more of where we are today in just, in just sort of working through the limitations and taking advantage of, of the tools that we have. Yeah, awesome. Hey, Steve, so we wanted to ask you our signature question here on the Business Edge. Tell us about a time when your personal values have been challenged. What happened and how did you respond? Yeah, I've heard several people answer this question. Um, so... I'll, I'll answer the question with a story, right? And and so it goes back and it sort of circles back to the whole idea about career transitions. Um, when I was with um, Accenture, uh, this is probably the year 2001, maybe. So that's 100 years ago. Um, we, were, we were on a project in Detroit. I think it was with Chrysler. Um, and I was traveling from Cincinnati. Uh, I was a manager at the time. The partner on the project was a, a guy that lived in New Jersey. And it was a Monday and um, he had just flown in. He was just sort of frantic and like, you know, his papers flying everywhere and he's running, throwing his stuff down and running to a meeting. And um, we went to lunch and uh, we just had to have a chance. We had a chance to have a discussion at lunch and he was talking about um, being at Six Flags with his children on Sunday, but being on the phone with the client like the whole time. And I thought to myself, and, and it's funny because... I had a colleague that was like the same level as I was. We sort of looked at each other when he was telling us this story and, and he was almost saying it in a way that was, you know, like a, almost like a badge of honor that I'm working mm. so many hours. I'm even, I'm even in line at, at mm. you know, six flags with my kids and I'm talking to the client and, and we both sort of looked at each other like, wow, that's sort of insane. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but, but it was, it was at that point when I think I, <clears throat> excuse me, I think I went home that the following weekend and I was, was telling Rachel about it. I was like, you know, I just don't think that's going to be for me. Like, I don't think this is what, I don't want to sacrifice what I think it takes to get to that sort of level. And like, I'm not saying that I would have made partner. That's a, that's, you know, it's a very difficult thing to do, but I think that was at the point where I sort of decided, um, I need to reset my values on what I think is important versus 
you know, what I'm doing right now. And, and the fact of the matter was, is that when I looked at what the, what the partner was saying is that I was very much guilty of the same thing is mm-hmm. that I, I would say that family's important, but you know, I hadn't seen my mom and dad or my brother and sister for a year because I was traveling everywhere and I don't, I don't see my wife, but you know, 48 hours every week. Am I really, is it really important to me? Uh, so that was, that was a, a milestone event in my life was that conversation and that lunch where, where he was talking about this and sort of joking about it. And it was like, wow, that's just, that's just not where I want to be in 20 years. Um, so that's a, that's the best example I can give you is it, it isn't like a moral dilemma. Yeah. But it was more of a, uh, sort of like a come, come to Jesus moment or whatever the term would be. No, I think that's a great example. And I love you use the badge of honor. Cause I think you see that so much in the workplace mm-hmm. And as I get older and in different stages of life, I respect people more that can get that work-life balance. Can separate it. Yeah. It's not easy to do. No, it's not. It goes back to your point about expectations. Mm-hmm. You know, you're worried about what other people's expectations mm-hmm. are. Um, and sometimes you sacrifice what's good for you. And that's tough. Uh, but you're right. The people that can show you the way on how to do that in a tactful and respectful way. Yeah. Check out those people. Yeah, yeah. most definitely. Well, thank you for joining us today. It was great talking to you. Yeah, thank you again for having me and for for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Steve. Thank you again. Thanks for listening to Business Edge. If you have questions, comments, or topic suggestions for us, email businessedge at akside.org.